Father, this morning we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for who you'll always be. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that you show us every single day. And God, this morning we just pause and we just say that, God, you are our cornerstone. God, uh, we, we thank you and we praise you that we have a faith that is built on you and you alone, that God, that you are, we say that you are faithful, you are true, God, and that you never waver. God, this morning we declare that you are our cornerstone and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, well, you may be seated. Well, good morning, uh, North Florida Baptist Church. How are we doing this morning? We doing all right? Awesome. Well, Happy New Year to you all. I know um, it feels good to say that, doesn't it? It feels good that we are in a new year. Um, it feels good that we are no longer having to deal uh, with 2020. Um, I was thinking as I was preparing a couple of days ago, man, if I knew what I knew now, what would I do a year ago? And uh, I don't know if I would change my pod a little bit differently. I don't know if I would have practiced, uh, would have looked up social distancing or Lord knows what I would have done. But uh, I, I cannot imagine what, man, what, as I go into this year, what would I be thinking now? But um, anyway, but I am honored and I am excited uh, to be with you this morning, uh, to worship with you, uh, to be given the word uh, this morning. And uh, it's, it's January. Uh, it's a new year. And, you know, this is the time where we set goals. Right. This is the time where uh, we we realign our focus. We get we get focused on things. This is also a time for us where uh, we reflect on the past year. And man, what a year uh, this past year has been. And, you know, I, I don't know about for you, but this is something that I will definitely never uh, forget. But church, if we've learned anything uh, this past year, if, if, if I could take away the one thing that I've learned in my life, uh, the one thing that I think that maybe us as, as believers can take away is one thing is this, is that God is faithful and that he will protect us and he will keep us safe. And he will, no matter what goes on in this world, no matter what happens, just like we saying that our faith is built on Jesus Christ alone, that he will lead us, that he will guide us and he will protect us because that is what the word promises us this morning. So uh, just for a few moments, uh, we're going to flip over to the book of Mark. And before I give you the scripture, I do have a question for you. Uh, as I was preparing, getting ready, um, I, I had a question for us. And my question is this, is that have you ever walked into a conversation thinking you knew exactly how that conversation would go? Has anyone ever been there before? Like you've gone into a conversation and you're saying, yeah, I, I got it, or a meeting or whatever. And you know exactly how it's going to go. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a, I went technically say that I'm a planner, but when I go into conversations or meeting with people, I automatically have my, if the meeting goes wrong, I already have my defense. Like I already know what I'm going to say to defend myself. Anybody know what I'm, anybody know what I'm talking about? I already know how I'm going to defend myself more than likely. I've already had the conversation. If they're not going to agree with me, how I'm going to respond. So that way we can at least figure out how to get to a mutual place. And then we can figure out how to at least resolve the meeting on good terms. Uh, that, that is me through and through. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, uh, but I, I, but I, I plan for these things, and I don't know about you, but more than likely, sometimes the conversation goes well, right? Sometimes it goes exactly how you plan it, whether that's a good conversation or whether that's a bad conversation. But, uh, yeah, I, I, there's been times where I have planned for that, and I hope that those conversations go for you as well. But I wanted to quickly bring up a conversation that I had when I was in college. Uh, for a short time, I went to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, 
And why I was at SCU, I, uh, I walked on to the football team. And Southeastern, it was great. It was, it was a great place for me. Uh, it was a time where I realized where I kind of became a man. I was the first time I was ever alone uh, by myself. And, and it, was, it was good for me. But I, I'll never forget one day, I had just come back from spring break, came back home and got to hang out with the family, got to hang out with my friends. And I became homesick. Anybody go away for college and you came back home, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you, you get a little homesick. So you're going back and you start thinking through things. Well, is this the right decision for me? Uh, did I, is this the place where I really want to be at? Um, is, did, I make, did I make the right move? And so I began to think about it. I remember I got to my dorm room and my, my, my roommate was, he was one where he would walk in at like 3 a.m. in the morning, like once a week. I never, never saw him, but except for one time, he, he walked in literally at like 4 a.m. He was a waiter at Olive Garden. That's all I knew about him. But he walked in and, and the next thing I know, I thought someone had broken in and I was ready to go. I mean, I, I was ready for it, but... Um, Luckily, I realized that it was, it was Vinny, so we were okay. But uh, I'll never forget that I was going to, I just got back home from spring break, and, or I just got back to college from spring break, and I was having these thoughts roll through my mind of what, what, well, what should I do? And I love, you know, football was one of the things where I liked to do it, but I wouldn't say that I loved it. It wasn't my, my passion. I was good at it, but it wasn't my passion. And I went to my offensive line coach, who was a really, really godly man. I loved him. Uh, he, you know, he, he was one to give good advice. And so I'll never forget, I went to him and I said, hey, coach, here's where I'm at. Uh, I love it here. I think it's great, but uh, you know, I'm at home. I, I, I don't know if God's leading me here, but I just want you at, at now Christian school. God, will, will you help or not, coach? Will you just kind of pray with me? Will you kind of guide me? Will you kind of show me uh, what I'm supposed to do? And he gave me some really great advice and we had a good probably 30, 35 minute conversation about life. Well, I walked out of that meeting feeling great. I walked out of that conversation feeling like, man, like I got somebody on my side. I, I know exactly, man, I, I'm surrounded by some good people. And the, like I said, the conversation went great. Well, we're in the middle of spring practice. And that's already a story in itself. We went the longest spring practice of my life. It was like eight weeks because of the amount of rain that Lakeland, Florida gets. But that is neither here nor there. But I'll never forget going to that practice that next Monday. And I was, at the time, I was second string. I had a, there was a, there was some time between where I wasn't playing and I was just trying to get back into the rhythm of it. And so I went from second string to third string. I never practiced a snap. I never did anything again while I was at Southeastern because of the conversation. I didn't realize that my conversation, I thought that my conversation went in my favor. I, and it ended up working out. But what I very quickly realized after that practice was that the coach wasn't necessarily around me as much anymore. What I realized was is that my, that my actions of having this conversation with him uh, ended up hurting me with, with, if I wanted to stay, ended up hurting me and having to build back some trust, having to show a want to where I thought that everything was good. And I don't know about you, but there's been t plenty of times other than that, or maybe there's been times like that in your life where you've had conversations with people and maybe it didn't go exactly the way that you thought it would. And this morning, just for a few moments, there's a conversation that Jesus has with someone in the book of Mark that the conversation goes really, really, he, he thinks it's going really, really well. But in reality, what we'll find out is it didn't go as well as he thought. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there, if you want to scroll there with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 17, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and uh, we'll go ahead and begin reading here. It says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, he being Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, 
good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now let's pause here just for a quick moment. Now this man that Jesus, uh, this man that the Bible describes here is not just, uh, not just a regular man. Uh, we can find in the, in the book of Matthew that this man was actually a ruler. He was, he was not just a, your average Joe, but he was a ruler. And what we have to understand before we can go further this morning is that rulers were considered. Now I found this interesting. This word in the Greek, it, it literally translates to a person of quality. I found that interesting. It, he, is a, he is a person of quality, which means that he probably had a good amount of wealth. He probably had authority. This man probably had the ability to influence decisions within his community. And more than likely, he had a lot of land and he had a lot of servants. To us, this guy had it all. He had it all. He was a man of status, wealth. He had it all. But really quickly, notice how he approached Jesus. At the very beginning of the verse, it says that he ran up and he knelt before him. This man laid aside his status and he disregarded what everybody else thought because this man thought that Jesus was worth it. A man of high stature in the community runs and kneels before Jesus because and, and is literally going to tells everyone that he's going to throw all of it away, his status, and is showing true humility to everyone that is watching. He, shrew, he, showed, he knelt before him. He showed true humility. But that's not all what he did. But he also showed through his actions that he wasn't ashamed. Remember, this man is a ruler, highly respected individual, constantly watched by others. There's an, there was another man in the Gospels that this word man actually translates to ruler. And you might know who I'm talking about, but he's, he's in the Gospels and he has a meeting with Jesus. Anybody remember the man by the name of Nicodemus? This man and Nicodemus are viewed the same, just kind of different roles, if you will. But notice the difference between this ruler and Nicodemus. Nicodemus met Jesus when? At night. He met Jesus at night, didn't want to be seen by the others because he was fearful of what others might think. This man that we're talking about this morning doesn't care because, once again, he thinks Jesus talking and having a conversation with Jesus is worth it. But let's keep reading in verse 18. And he says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, this, this question that we keep finding in the word, that we keep finding time and time throughout, is the most popular question probably today. It's the pop, most popular question yesterday. And it was the most popular th question thousands and thousands of years ago. The word actually uh, shows us that Solomon began asking this question, uh, just it, the, the phrasing of it specifically, uh, back in his day. And it, it's the question of what must I do? do for eternal life. This man is curious. And Jesus responds to him by saying that only God is good. And church and family, I don't, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting what Jesus is doing here. I find it interesting because this guy is so excited to be having a conversation that automatically his first response is he's already beginning to miss what's going on. He's already beginning to miss what Jesus is trying to do because what Jesus is establishing right here is that he is already bringing a point of separation between him and God. Do you see that? He's already right here bringing a point of separation between him and God because he says that God is good. God is good. 
And church, this morning, we, can, can we just acknowledge and can we be reminded for a few minutes that our God is a good God. Amen? Our God is a good God. We get so caught up in the day, in our day, we get so caught up in our routine, we get so caught up just living life that I think sometimes, and myself included, I am guilty of this every single day, that we forget to pause and worship and acknowledge that our God is a good and faithful God. I love how Moses describes God in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He says that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Church, this morning, let's be reminded that our God is good, that he is merciful to sinners, he is gracious to those. He is gracious to us that are unworthy of his grace. He is patient with us. Anybody thankful for his patience? I, I'll tell you what, this past week, uh, my wife and I uh, were house-sitting for my family as they were away, and my family has a dog, and they have a cat, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my patience was tried uh, with our little Shih Tzu Schnauzer mix. That's all I'm saying. It was tried this week. But he is patient. No matter how many times we sin, no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we walk away, God is patient and he is kind to us. His opinion of us never changes. I love how Moses also says that he shows unconditional love with no strings attached. God is a loving God. He is kind. He is patient. He is grace. He is graceful and he is merciful. But I love at the end that he is faithful. He will never leave us and forsake us. He is a faithful and we serve a good God. Amen. Well, let's keep reading because it doesn't stop here. Verse 19 says this. It says, but Jesus comes back and he says, but you know the commandments, talking to the, talking to the ruler. He says, but you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. But what? Honor your father and your mother. But look at what the ruler says. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. You see, what Jesus is doing here is not, he's already established a point of separation, but now he's showing him that he's actually not good. He's actually showing him that the, he's, he's reminding him of the law. Now we can go into, if you're a Bible scholar and, and you love everything about the word, we, well, you can already pick up that these commandments are out of order and there's a reason why Jesus did that. But this morning we don't have time uh, to go into all that. But notice the man's response here. He doesn't say, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, I, I know the commandments. I've been, I, I grew up in church. I've known them my entire life. I, I know the commandments and, and I might not be perfect, I might have not kept all of them. You know, I might have not, I might obey my mom and dad and I honor them, but I, I, you know, I have stolen. No, he didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say that he, he didn't, he didn't commit that. He didn't fess up saying that he bared a false witness. But look at what he said at the end. He said in verse 20, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Telling Jesus that, hey, God, I, I know that. 
I know that. I, I, I've done that. Like, I'm good. Like, I, I'm a ruler. I'm, I'm a man of status. I know the commandments. I've, I've, grown, up, I've grown up with it. I, I, I've done, I, I can do all that. What, what, the, what the ruler here is communicating to Jesus is, is that based off of his performance for not committing certain sins, he is good to go. He's good. I'm good, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard this. I grew up in Sunday school. I know I've read the Torah. I'm good. Life's awesome. I got it. But see, Jesus has already told him who was good. And he's trying to lead the conversation in a different way. And the young man here is completely missing the point. And I don't know about you, but this reminds me of myself. And maybe it reminds you of you this morning because don't we all do the same? How many times have we been in a conversation with Jesus and because we don't break certain laws or because we don't struggle like so-and-so does or because we don't break certain sins or because I wasn't that bad today, I'm good. Anyone ever been there before? You've ever told yourself that lie before? I do it every day. We love to compare ourselves. And that's exactly what this man is doing here. He is comparing himself to everyone else. And when we do this, we lie to ourselves and we begin believing that because of our own good works, because of our own effort, because of our own merit, we demean the work of Jesus and the beauty of the cross. But notice how the conversation continues. Are you starting to see how the conversation to this man is going good one way, but to Jesus, this conversation is saying, hey man, uh, you're not as good as you think you are. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, but you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. I love how the word says how Jesus was patient with this guy and through his patience. Because I, I would imagine that if I was Jesus in this moment, that I've already tried to establish a point of separation. I've already tried to establish, hey man, I'm a little, like only God's good. I'm God. Like I, I'm good. You're not. Like I would probably be a little frustrated by this point. Like I would probably have, I don't know if I would have lost my temper, but I probably would have gotten to a point where I would have made it clear, hey man, like I don't think the conversation is going as good. But Jesus doesn't do that here. He looks at him and he says that looking at him loved him. And he said to him, you like one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, remember, this man is a ruler. This man has status. He has wealth. He is educated. And Jesus looks at him and, he's, and he wants him to sell all of his possessions and follow him. The, Imagine that for a second. If you're in this man's shoes and you have all, everything that he has and Jesus were to look at you and say, hey, I want you to sell everything and I want you to follow me. Sell it all and follow me. Today, for us, that would probably equal out to us leaving our job, stopping the 401k, draining all the accounts and giving all that money, giving everything that is tied to your name, giving it all the way to the needy and less fortunate and get in following Jesus and leaving everything else behind. Your family, your friends, everything that is attached to you is gone. That's, an in, that's intense, right? I mean, that is a huge thing that Jesus is asking this guy to do. 
And I don't know about you, but I had to pause for a second and, and I had to think about that. Like I've read this story and we've probably read the story a thousands and uh, a thousand times before where I know we're all familiar with it, but I don't think it truly hit home until I actually paused and, and, and thought about what that would look like in my life if Jesus were to come to me and say, hey man, I want you to leave everything and follow me. And church, my question for us this morning is, if Jesus were to look at you and say exactly what he said to this man, how would you respond? What's going through, what would be going through your mind or what's going through your mind right now? Because in just a second, we're about to read how this man responds. Look at what he does. Verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It says that he was disheartened by the saying. Look at what happened. He, he was disheartened. Jesus, Jesus' words caused him to be offended, and it caused him to be upset. But what I want to hone in on just for a few minutes this morning is what happened. It says that he was disheartened, but he also went away sorrowful. That word sorrowful in the Greek actually translates to the word grieve. It means grieve. Think about that for a second. This man was so upset that he would leave everything that, that he had to leave everything in order to follow Jesus. He had to leave everything behind that it caused him to grieve. Have has anyone ever grieved before? Like, have you ever like lost a loved one? Has there been something traumatic in your life to where it has caused some grief? Where, I mean, that, that is a, that is a strong emotion, right? I mean, you just don't grieve just to grieve just because it's fun unless you like that kind of thing, which we can pray at the end of service. Like, that's cool. Uh, but, I mean, but grieving is a strong emotion. That, that is a lot of hurt. That is a lot of pain. That is a lot of suffering that this guy must have gone through right in the, minute, right in the middle of this, of this conversation. He grieved. But for a second, I want you to think not also about his grieving of his possessions, but think about the value that he placed on his possessions. He placed some value because you just don't grieve if you're just going to walk away and lose something. Like, obviously, it's not a struggle if he, if he could just walk away, right? It's not, it's not a struggle for him. He, there, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any grieving. But obviously, he had some value that he placed on these things. And I don't know about you, but to me, I would think that his identity was found in his possessions. Everything that, everything that he thought he was, who he thought he was, what he thought other people thought of him was found in his things. His identity was found in his possessions, but his, worth, but his worth of himself was defined by it. And what blows my mind is that he is so consumed with what's going on in him. And I'm sure this rattled him to his core, but what blows my mind is that he is so caught up in what's going on and what Jesus said to him that he is completely missing out on Christ. Because remember five verses ago, remember how he ran up to him, how he knelt before him, how he unashamedly acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, how he wanted to know everything about him, how he publicly made this statement as a ruler, someone that is highly viewed and respected in the community, that he was going to have this, uh, that he was going to have this conversation with excitement and unashamedly, and now he is walking away grieving. In a matter of five verses. The conversation is not going the way that he thought it was. He went from super excitement to ultimate depression like a Nicholas Sparks movie, man. I mean, like he is super excited to now he is just, I don't even know what to do with my life. 
what started out as a great life conversation, what started out as a, as a conversation to know how to have eternal life, how to get to heaven, how to have a treasure stored up in heaven, boiled down very quickly to a big life decision that this guy was not ready to make. And the question, church, is this, is that am I going to completely surrender everything that I have to Jesus or not? Am I going to surrender everything that I have to Jesus or not? You see, this, 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 this illustration, this story has been used time and time again as a money sermon. And, and listen, it should. Uh, there, there are, there's a lot of principles here about not serving God and not serving money. But church, I also think that this is a reminder that you and I are to live a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. That is what we are called to. We are called to live a life that is completely surrendered to Jesus. Because church, you see, he wasn't concerned about how, Jesus wasn't concerned about how obedient this guy was. He wasn't concerned that he had fulfilled the law. He wasn't concerned that this guy thought that he was good. He wasn't concerned that um, how obedient he was. He wasn't concerned or he wasn't awed by who he was talking to. Jesus was concerned for one and one thing only, and that was his soul. He was concerned for his soul. Jesus wanted his complete and full and soul surrender. That's what he wanted. And this guy completely missed it. And church this morning, I want to remind us that not only did he want this guy's full surrender, but he wants your full surrender. Jesus wants all of you. He doesn't want a piece of you. He wants every little last thing about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus wants all of you. He died for all of you, not just a piece of you. He wants all of you. Because church, the word is clear that God desires all of us to give all of ourselves to him, not just a piece. And believe it or not, we all can identify with this man hopefully better than we thought before we walked in this morning. We all can identify with him. Why? Because each and every one of us have the same thing in common. We all struggle with fully surrendering. It's in our nature to not surrender. Each and every one of us struggle with surrendering to God. It's hard for us to surrender because surrendering is not just a one-time decision. It is a daily decision where we have to get up and say, God, I surrender to you. We struggle with surrender because it requires of us to let go of control. It requires for us to completely let go of control. That's why Jesus is Lord and not us. Literally, when, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, to be the Lord and to be the King of our life, literally we are giving him all access and the final say-so of our life. All access, all the final, all the final say-so. Meaning that our plans now become his plans. Meaning that the decisions that we make are influenced and led by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that our dreams and our desires are now his dreams and are now his desires. Meaning that our life is fully surrendered to his will. No matter if we like it 
or not, living a life of surrender means that we can no longer hold the reins, but he holds the reins and we go wherever the reins tell us to go. And that is hard. Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's hard. We struggle with surrender because it also gives full access to Christ, meaning that there are no more hidden sins. The person that you truly are, the person that we don't like everyone to see, Jesus knows, meaning the good, the bad, and the ugly is out on the table 24-7 hours a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jesus is, has access to our inmost being. We are completely vulnerable to Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes make, being vulnerable is not the most comfortable thing. We are completely vulnerable to Christ. But lastly, surrendering is difficult. And we struggle with surrender because surrendering has nothing to do with us. But it has everything to do with with Christ. Surrendering has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with Christ. Because look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. He says, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking with Peter because they're confused about what's going on, what the conversation, what just happened. He's confused about what's going on. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you that there is no one who has left that has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Church, surrendering has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ. Surrendering our life to him is all about giving our lives to him for one thing and one thing only, and it is his name's sake. That's it. Not about what I can get out of Jesus. Not about what Jesus can do for me. It is all about living a life for his name's sake and the spreading of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for what he has done for us to share to the world. That is it and it alone. It alone. So as we come to a time of response and as we close out our time in the word, church, I, I have a couple of questions for us. And I, have a, and, I, and, I have a, and I have a challenge for us. And the first thing before we move forward is can we pause and can we just reflect just for a few moments that our God is a good God. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a few moments. Church, as we, as we close and as we go into a time of response, just for a moment, will you, will you just think about the goodness of God? Will you pause and will you just, will you thank him for how good he's been? We, we've been through a year that has been unlike any other year. It's been unlike any other time that I've ever lived in my life where there's been uncertainty. We've been in unprecedented times, however we want to describe it, however we want to coin it. But church, our God is a good God. He is faithful. He is kind. He is merciful. And he is gracious to us. And just for a moment, can we just pause and we, can we just say thank you and praise him that he is a good God. You know, for, for some of us, we've been talking about surrendering our life to him. And we talked about this man and, and this struggle that he had and how he completely missed it. And I don't want to not have an opportunity because there might be someone that is here today or you might be watching online or you might watch this afterwards and you might say, man, I don't know if I fully surrendered my life to him. 
And if that's you this morning, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, all you have to do is you just, all you have to do is surrender. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of all your sins and to clean you up. And so if that's you, wherever you're at, if that's you and you need to surrender your life to him, will you do that this morning? All you have to say is, Jesus, God, I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. I surrender my life to you. I'm not perfect, but God, you are good. And I ask that you would lead me and that you would guide me. I put all my faith and I put all my trust in you. And if you did that for the first time, man, I'm happy for you and all of heaven celebrates with you. But there also might be some of us here, some of us online, that we might need to repent this morning. Because maybe there's been a time, maybe there's been a moment in your life where you've surrendered to the Lord, where you've asked him to be the Lord of your life. But church, family, sometimes it's easy for us to take those reins back. Sometimes it's easy for us to to take back the control. And so this morning, will you repent? Will you ask Jesus to forgive you for not fully surrendering? But then I wanna challenge you and I wanna ask you that you'll, you'll fully surrender to him this morning, that you'll, lie, that you'll live a life fully dependent on God and God alone. And lastly, will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to guide you? You know, what, what I love the most about this life with Jesus, and I, I'm sure I've said this a thousand times before, is that we don't have to do this alone. That when we accept Christ, the promise is, is that we get the Holy Spirit, that we get a helpmate, that we get a guide, that we get someone to nudge us along, following and maturing in the ways of Christ. And he's here this morning to lead you and to guide you. So will you ask him for his help? For he is our helpmate. Father, this morning we just pause and we just say thank you. God, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're our cornerstone. But Lord, I ask you that you would help us to live a life that is fully surrendered to you. God, I ask that you would help us to not be a church, to not be a people that pray to you, but God, that are still holding on to the reins. God, I ask that you would help us to be a people, help us to be a church that understands to, to live a life that is fully surrendered to you. And God, we acknowledge this morning that that can be hard. We acknowledge this morning that that can be difficult. God, but we also acknowledge that you are good, that you are stronger, that you are bigger than our fears. God, that you are bigger than, uh, than anything that we can face. And God, I ask you that you would help us full, to live a life that is fully surrendered to you. And God, that we would live a life for your name's sake and not our own. So Holy Spirit, would you help us today as we go out of here, would you help us today to be a people that live a surrendered life. In your son's name we pray, amen.